Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. In today's message on symphonic evangelism, we are going to study how the varied components of biblical evangelism are interrelated, such that they reveal a unique calling to believers as both inadequate for the mission and yet sustained by God's power and provision. Thanks for joining us on this, the Sunday of the celebration of Jesus's ascension as we challenge ourselves to bear witness to God's power and God's promise through the exaltation of Jesus into the heavens. I can remember real early on in my college days, I worked as the breakfast cook at our university. So up at 5 a.m. preparing pancakes and scrambled eggs for an entire university. I can remember real quick on my first day, um, really, really relying on those cooks who were full-time folks there, helping me learn the ropes. But I also remember when they let me fail on my own. I remember when the little bird's got to leave the nest and stretch its wings. And part of that process is learning that, you know what, sometimes you need help. (laughs) And as I think through the task that God has left us with here on earth, uh, there's a similar helping and nudging out of the nest that's designed by God to help you stretch your wings. And in doing so, you will find both growth And you will find a keen awareness that you cannot do it alone. Have you ever been there? Do you know what that feels like? Right? The whole Christian life itself is one where we must learn how to rely and depend interdependently on one another. As we bring encouragement, uh, we're told by God's word not to uh, fail to meet together and to spur one another on towards love and good deeds as together we collectively look for the day of Christ's return. You cannot do it alone. But sometimes I think, wouldn't it be easier if God just did it himself? What do you think? I mean, who's really the best at discipleship? You or God? Right? Who's really the, the, he hits a home run every time at the plate for evangelism. Who is it? You or God? Boy, sometimes I think, wouldn't it just be easier Uh, If God did it himself, to me, that seems like it would be more efficient. However, there is wisdom in the strategy that God has ordained to involve you in his work. This past week on the church calendar, uh, we celebrate the ascension of Jesus. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that moment being there? You heard it this morning read by Tom, that the disciples gathered together celebrating the resurrection, but then to see Jesus taken up from them into the heavens to the point where they don't see him anymore. How many of you would have been freaking out? How many would? What do we do? Thankfully, we have another week coming, and so this next Sunday is going to be the celebration of Pentecost. Jesus tells his disciples in John 14, 15, and 16 that he's not going to leave you abandoned children. He's not going to leave you without help. He is going to leave, however. You remember the story? They say, but where are you going? Just show us the way we'll go. And what does Jesus say? This great passage from John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. Right? So we know the way. You know the way. And yet God still, in his wisdom, allows Jesus, the one who could do it better than you, Jesus is going to leave. 
And he's going to entrust the task of evangelizing the world to a bunch of fishermen <laughs> and some ladies who are following, right? This is, the, this is the group. And look what's happened. Is this not the a most marvelous miracle that you can see within human society? That from a little tiny ragtag group of followers of a teacher in the Middle East, we sing glories to the one true God over in the woods of Segola. Isn't that amazing? What this teaches us is that the Spirit of God is going to be the power that we need to rely on. And that there is something that we, gotta, we need to and ought to be focusing our attention when it comes to evangelism that is tied uniquely to the ascension of Jesus. In Jesus' leaving, in Jesus' being uh, seated now in the heavenlies, there is a meaning and a purpose for your involvement in evangelism that we're going to focus on this morning. Uh, We're going to be looking at a passage. It's actually an entire chapter in the New Testament that's so many times overlooked. Before we turn there, I want to give us a little bit of review Uh, For our visitors uh, this morning, we are studying what we're calling symphonic evangelism. The the idea is um, everybody has an instrument to play, but not any one person can do it all themselves. And so like a symphony, we all resoundingly share the good news of the gospel in each unique way that God has planted and that God has gifted us following the single conductor of Jesus Christ as the head of the church. The the second way in which this symphonic evangelism is seen is that there's a trifold way in which evangelism is designed by God to flow out into the world. Uh, For those who have been with us through the whole series, hopefully this looks like review to you, right? Uh, The first has to do with our good works. Uh, Peter helps tell the church that you are to live such good lives, among the nations, among the pagans, that they will see your good works and then glorify God on the day that he comes. So your your character of your life, the way that you love your neighbor in service, that is a key component of evangelism. Additionally, we've been studying that the gospel is uh, is a truth. It's a a matter-of-fact statement of, that, that's indisputable. It, it, we, we see it characterized a few different ways in the New Testament. Uh, the first is that Jesus is Lord. There, there's no question to the truthfulness of that. <laughs> Doesn't matter if you believe me. Jesus is Lord. The second is that Jesus is alive. He is risen from the dead. And the third is that Jesus died for our sins. Those three simple truths create for the Christians who are following in discipleship of Jesus the good news. That's good news. It doesn't matter if people believe it. It's true. We are seeking to equip ourselves better to know how to integrate those truths into the moments and relationships that we have to share uh, that, that message with the world around us. And then the third component involves a way that God has uniquely been working in your life. It's your witness. It is your personal testimony. We saw that over the last couple of weeks that that's framed, first of all, in a subjectivity of the story of your conversion, what God has done, and what God is doing in your life. 
And then last Sunday, we looked at how the law has been given to us as a way of bringing an awareness of sin such that we would be able to see our need for a Savior. Now, if you're with me on this review, give me a good amen. Amen. All right. This morning, we are going to study the interchange between these three spheres of evangelism. Because there's a unique contribution as they overlap that brings together what the scripture would outline for you as a disciple to understand how to do evangelism. So with these first two that are nearest to me, service and your personal testimony, uh, these speak to the relational nature of evangelism. In fact, it changes evangelism as you as you move forward in obedience of evangelism, it changes how you treat others. The Bible relates this in 2 Corinthians. Uh, Paul says, we no longer view people from a worldly point of view. That comes to us because of how we engage in obedience with evangelism. So the relational component of evangelism has to do with how we are reaching out to others in service and how our own story comes into the lives of those around us. I I, I want you to see that evangelism has a necessary relational component to it. Isn't that the hard part? (laughs) Wouldn't ministry be easy if there just weren't any people? (laughs) Wouldn't that make the whole thing a piece of cake? And yet one of the necessary components of the task of evangelism is that it has to be relational. Um, The second one, so if we look over at the gospel and our testimony, the interchange between these, uh, I've just called, it's impossible. Now, uh, I I think I'm going to get a lot of agreement on this here in a moment. Uh, Raise your hand if you love to evangelize. Come on. I got one hand. Yeah. And and that's good. That's actually not terribly out of sync with God's gifting. In fact, we know that evangelism is a particular nuanced gift of the Spirit. And yet, like we've talked about before, everybody needs training in it. We all need training. We all need to make sure that we are equipped. This is what the Bible teaches us. You as well need to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have in Christ. And that's part of your witness. Oh, but pastor, that's impossible. That's impossible. We can't do it. And, and it's true. It's true. It isn't a kind of impossibility of evangelism. And this really changes how we speak to others. You'll notice service isn't about speaking, but the gospel is. And giving your witness is. These are the words that you have to say. Now, I know that we've been in this for a couple of weeks now, and, and I would be willing to bet, um, right, just show of hands, uh, when it comes to speaking the message of your own personal testimony, makes me a little nervous. Anybody? <laughs> Saw that in the back. Thank you for that witness. That's right. Uh, so there is an impossibility to this task that we're going to study as well. The last two, as they intersect with one another, the gospel and service, it changes how we live. The gospel changes how we live. Paul says this. He says, Christ's love compels us. That's the fuel that motivates us. 
Not the preacher saying, you better get out there and share the gospel. That's not what motivates you. Uh, Not this sense of, oh, but if I don't say anything, nobody will. No, as if it were on your shoulders. That's not what should motivate you. It's the true message of the transforming work of the gospel in your life, which is, hear me now, the love of God that compels us to change how we interact and share our lives with with others. I'm sure if you gave an overview into your own life, at some point uh, you might have a story where you really didn't like your neighbor too much. Right? I really can't stand them, to be honest. Uh, But the more that God takes hold of your heart, the more you realize that that's really a sinful pattern in your life and that God has and is in the work of transforming you to be a witness to that neighbor. So when we bring all these together, what we find is that this is a picture of symphonic evangelism. And it requires all pieces. If you leave out service, if your life never is characterized by your behavior as a, as a cogent witness in, in, um, in congruency with your testimony, do you know what we call people like that? What, what do we call people who say one thing but do something else? Yeah. So, so if, you, if you leave this part out, you've lost an essential component of evangelism. Or if you leave out the gospel message, well, now you might think, well, I got to make sure I'm really working it to uh, motivate these people or manipulate somebody. You just got to you just got to believe in Jesus and we're going to do everything we can to get there. Hold on. Time out. That's not that's not the task at hand. God, God has done all the work. I'm simply the one that gets to relate the truth of it. And so the gospel is a necessary component in evangelism. And don't miss out on this one. Remember, it would be a lot easier if God did it himself. Amen? But he has decided to use you. You are a necessary component in the work of God to redeem the nations. So with this in mind, we are going to look at a passage in 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles with me this morning, I invite you to turn there with me. Uh, Paul is uh, in his last address to a very troubled church, a church that's really struggled both with their own witness and with the apostle himself. Um, He is going to, in this final letter, um, relate to them the core tenets of evangelism in how he and his traveling companions have practiced witnessing the good news of Jesus Christ, especially here in Corinth. But this is is going to have a lot of meaning for us today as we study it. So uh, 2 Corinthians, double check on that one. So many times you end up in 1 Corinthians when you're supposed to be in 2. 2 Corinthians, we're just going to read chapter 4. Whoever, if you're there, if you found it, give me an amen. amen. Okay, if you're still looking, say, Lord, help me. All right, we're all there. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. 
The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And ourselves as your servants for for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly, We are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. All right, let's work through a couple of observations. Uh, why did God leave this task to us? I, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a bugger of a question right there to, to try to answer. I think the Apostle Paul, I think he gives us some really keen uh, insights to answer that question. Here's what I want you to watch for. Uh, we're going to have six primary observations plus a bonus one. If visitors are lucky this morning. You get, a, you get a bonus one for this morning. So watch for that as we walk through this. There's going to be six plus one as we go through it. The first one is this. Uh, it's covering the theme because the task is relational. Why did God leave this to us? Because he has formed us to be relational creatures and that part of the design of evangelism flows through God's creative efforts within our nature of being relational creatures. What that means is, uh, very first of all, evangelism needs to be grounded in integrity. Have you ever had someone lie to you? How quick were you to believe them again the next time? 
it's a tricky thing when it comes to deception. Uh, it's, it's very hard to regain trust. It takes a long time to gain trust. How quickly can it be lost? Very quick. That's right. Which is all the more reason why in the church we need to make sure that we put off falsehood. And we speak to one another with truth, which is another reason why we need to be very quick keeping short accounts. If you think somebody has spoken against you, don't don't leave that there. The Bible tells us if you know you have, your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. Go first be reconciled and then come present your gift. Now, if we get that right here, if we can do that here, part of our training, part of our equipping as disciples is going to be learning how we make the gospel presentation also grounded with integrity. I want you to look back in the text here. Did you see how Paul starts off in verse 2? He says, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. I was uh, talking to our... uh, we had, a, we had a men's group for a, a Bible study, and I was just kind of complaining to them. Sometimes it's hard to be a preacher, you know. It is. The, the Word of God is sharp. It really is, and it can cut. And sometimes it's really hard to receive the antagonism of those who do not like the sword of the Lord in His Word. And sometimes, you know what, it'd be just easier as a preacher just to phone it in. Like, we're just going to show a movie this morning, right? Because sometimes it can become wearisome. The Apostle Paul knew this. He says, we don't dilute God's word. We don't dumb it down. We don't change it to appeal to the whims of society. We don't distort it. Nor do we use deception. Look what he says in verse 3. He says, uh, on the contrary, by setting... I'm so in verse 2. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. When it comes to evangelism, part of the task is relational. And you know how important it is to be an honest person and to have others treat you with honesty. And sometimes that's hard. Parents know that, right? When you're bringing up your kids, sometimes the truth is a little painful. But thankfully, most parents don't pull back on that. They're willing to share those hard truths. We need to make sure that when it comes to evangelism, we're also following Paul's outline here. In fact, there were other people in Corinth who were coming and sharing with the church things that weren't true. Trying to draw them away from the truth of God's word by either distorting the message or using shameful ways of deception. That. That doesn't happen today, does it? That's not happening anywhere. Uh, any message that promises blessing to the natural man only, so things like, come to Jesus and you'll be wealthy, or come to Jesus and, and you'll have greater esteem or power from a worldly standard, or God will promise to heal you from whatever it is that's ailing you. Anything that appeals to the natural man will not appeal to the spiritual man. And so because of that, we, we, like Paul here, we renounce those ways of sharing the gospel. It needs to be grounded in integrity. Second is this, evangelism must be grounded in a relationship with Jesus. I love this one. It must be grounded in a relationship with Jesus. I'd like you to hold your spot in 2 Corinthians, and we're going to flip back to the book of Acts, chapter 1. So don't lose your spot. We're going to come back to 2 Corinthians in just a moment. 
But flip back a couple of books to the book of Acts, chapter 1. I want you to see, I want you to see with spiritual eyes the heart of the disciples as Jesus ascends from them. Are we there? Acts chapter 1. Look with me starting in verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes in a cloud and hid from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. Look at this moment. I just want you to see something that's going on there. Imagine if you were there, right? There's Jesus. He's risen from the dead. You're together with your buddies, right? And he goes up into heaven. Hey, where's he going? Well, I don't know. Is that it? No. What is that? It's a bird. It's a plane. <laughs> they wouldn't have had planes then, right? They, they, they are looking for Jesus in, in such a way that it's almost comedic. How the angels have to kind of, I can imagine the angel, you know, what, what are you guys looking at? <laughs> like just staring up into the sky. Why? Why were those disciples so keenly looking and looking? It was because they knew Jesus. It was because they loved Jesus. Their motivation to pursue on in evangelism comes from a heart of those who walked with and talked with and spent time with Jesus. I I cannot emphasize to you enough how the task of evangelism is left to you by the ascension of Jesus because it's relational, which means... We need to have a relationship with Jesus if we're going to be successful in evangelism. Everybody with me on that? Look with me back in 2 Corinthians. Flip flip back there a little bit. You'll see how Paul says something similar to this in verse 13. He's going to quote the Old Testament here. He says in verse 13, It's written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Think about that little phrase. I, I believed it. I believed it by having a relationship with Jesus. That's how I know it's true. And because I'm so convinced it's true, I believe it, I'm therefore going to what? I'm going to speak it. This comes, I want to remind you again, this comes by being grounded in a relationship with Jesus. All right, thirdly, um, the task is not only relational, the task is, frankly, it's impossible. I mean, it's utterly impossible. In fact, even as Jesus is telling him that he's going to leave, this is at the end of Matthew's gospel, it says, Matthew reports, that there were some who doubted. Now, they're not doubting Jesus is risen. They're doubting themselves. Are you kidding me? We got to do this? There's no way we can do this. We need you to do this, man. We're followers. That's our whole deal. We signed up to follow. Jesus says, these are beautiful words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, I'm commissioning you. I'm telling you, Go. Tell the world about me. They're given their confidence from him. But they see it. It's impossible. 
Look with me back in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. When Paul is outlining the beauty of the gospel, it's really a hope of resurrection that's seen in the face of Christ. Verse 7 says this, we have this treasure in, in these clay pots. They're not made out of porcelain. They're not made out of fine china or ivory. They're made out of clay. What happens to clay if you drop it? Well, probably all of them would break, right? But the clay you got to be real careful with. It's, it's frail. It's goofy looking sometimes, right? Anybody with me being goofy looking out there? So here's the deal. It's impossible because part of God's design is to show us the gospel must be seen in the weakness of man. The gospel must be seen not in your ability but really in your deficiency that proves God's ability. So here in the text, we have, we, we have this, uh, there's like a juxtaposition going on. Two things that look paradoxical, but stand together. Look with me in the text. He says, verse eight, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. I had a can like that when I was a kid. My grandpa uh, would keep this big barrel full of uh, beer cans and Coke cans and he had out in the garage one of these hand press. You, ever, you remember, see those? You can crush them, make more room, go recycle them. Well, I remember being a little kid. That was awesome because you got to because you got to break stuff, and it was you weren't getting in trouble. But I, and I can remember, I can remember some cans like just I mean all my fourth grader weight pulling down on that thing, and I couldn't get the can to bust. That's what Paul says. It's like being in ministry. It's just like this pressure. Like, it's coming from this side. It's coming from that side. It's coming from everywhere. But we're not crushed. Those two stand at the same time. Again, he's going to say we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. There's so much more here that's worth studying that we just don't have time for this morning. Just just give me one more little verse here. Flip to chapter 6 real quick. Same book, just flip the page over. I want you to see again how the juxtaposition, these two things that look like they cannot stand, how they stand together. Look in verse 3. He says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry won't be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, hardship, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and not yet. Are you getting the point? Everybody see this? So understand the first half of this, when it comes to evangelism, if anybody here was not raising your hand like, I'm an evangelist, guess what? You're the exact type of person God wants. If you're in church this morning being like this is for somebody else, I don't know if this is for me. It's impossible. God says, you're the exact one I want. There's a really good song by Casting Crowns called Nobody. Have you, have you heard that on the radio? The chorus says, I'm just a what? I'm just a nobody trying to tell 
everybody about somebody who saved my soul. So make very sure that we get this right because our world screws this up. Can you think of all the problems that can happen when you put your hope in a preacher? Uh, it's, it's been a kind of a tough, it's been a tough news week, I think, for the church in a lot of ways. A lot, a lot of mistakes I've, I've seen happening in the church when it comes to, to leadership. Um, you can think of all the, the variety of sequential problems that will come if we have put our hope in a man and not in God, which teaches us. Oh, here, here this passage, Second Corinthians. Paul says, indeed, we felt that we've received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Therefore, evangelism must be seen not in the power of man, but in the all-surpassing power from God. So these two are juxtapositions. They, they stand opposed, yet they both stand. God is able, I am not. I am, I am weak, and he is strong. You'll see again this theme from uh, chapter 2. Uh, Paul says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So if you think the task is impossible, so does God. And that's okay. Here, here's part of why I'm preaching to you in this way this morning. Evangelism is not non-negotiable. Are we in agreement on that, right? As long as you are here on the earth, God has placed you to be a witness. But boy, it can be discouraging in our world. And man, we have not had very good training on it over our lives. And so if we feel a sense of that, I I just don't know if I can do it. That's why I'm wanting you to be encouraged this morning because Paul says we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. All right, you guys with me? Let's keep going here. Um, Lastly, the theme is because it's transformational. Why doesn't God do it himself? Well, because part of sharing the good news is a transforming work that happens in us. We see this fifthly here that evangelism must be enjoined with our exalted head. You might have a typo there on your um, sermon notes. Uh, the, the document I was writing thought I meant exhaled. Nope. Uh, exalted is the word. Uh, evangelism must be enjoining us with our exalted head. Who is the head of the church? This is not a trick question. Let's all get it right together. Who's the head of the church? Jesus, Jesus is the head of the church. In fact, let me just show you that from God's word. Ephesians 1, uh, the, that's the same power as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. This sentence right here. What's that? When God seated Christ in the heavenly realms. That's the ascension. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who dwells in everything, in every way. 
Chapter 5, Christ is the head of the church. Colossians 1, and he is the head of the body, which is the church. Well, what's that make you? Not the head, right? You're part of the body. Who, who, who wants to sign up for a pinky toe? Anybody? <laughs> Kneecapped. Right? Okay. All are needed. That's the symphony of evangelism. Not, not every one person here has it just like you. You're all needed together. However, you must unite by being transformed under the headship of Christ. When, when I lived in the Caribbean, we had these little lizards. And if you were to uh, try to catch one and pull on its tail, the tail would pop right off. Yeah, it was really, really kind of freaky. Um, but it's a defense mechanism so that if they were chased by a predator, they, they'd just get the tail and they would escape, right? And so the tail sits there and it flips around and it's all moving around. Why? Why is the tail freaking out? Because it's no longer connected to the head. Listen, that's going to be your experience in evangelism as well if you're not connected with Jesus as the head. Jesus is the one that has all power and authority. Jesus is the one who has equipped and gifted you. Jesus is the one who has tasked you in the right moment and time to depend on him. But if you're not connected with the head, you're going to be like just flopping around. So we need to make sure that we get that one right. Secondly, or sixthly, I should say, uh, and this is critical for transformation. Evangelism must be enjoyed by us as well. Let me draw you back into 2 Corinthians 4 just to show you how these two pieces flow out of the text. Um, You'll see at the very end, Paul says in verse 16, we don't lose heart. Outwardly, we're wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. How is that possible for him? And it's only because Paul says he has fixed his eyes Not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Namely, where Jesus is seated in the heavenly realms. Paul has fixed his eyes. All that Paul has in his efforts of evangelism are fully dependent by looking to the boss up in heaven. Right? That's what what a head is, right? That's what a chief is. You better listen to your marching orders, right? Because they're coming from the top down. Paul says, that's where we look. We're we're, we're not fixing our eyes on the horizontal. It's terrible here. There's discouragement everywhere. We're crushed every side. We fix our eyes on where Christ is seated. And that's why the ascension is so critical for us. And then you'll see the result of that was, (laughs) it's how he started the chapter. Look look back in, in verse one. Therefore, since God's mercy, we have this ministry Well, he has the ministry because God's merciful. And if it comes from God, what does he say? We don't lose what? Therefore, we don't lose heart. He says the exact same thing in verse 16. Therefore, we don't lose heart. I want you to see the chapter we read is all about encouraging the church. We're we're not getting discouraged. I looked the word up. Here's what it means. It means to be utterly spiritless, to be wearied out, to be exhausted, to be discouraged. Paul says... We're not discouraged. And I want you to know that when it comes to sharing the gospel, it's for you as well. 
The gospel isn't just for the person across the street who doesn't know Jesus. It's for you. In fact, the more you share the gospel with others and in your own heart, the more you, like Paul, are going to be, man, I'm, I'm wasting away outwardly, but boy, do I have supernatural strength. Because Jesus is alive. Because Jesus is my Lord. Because Jesus died for my sins. The gospel is not just for the world. It's for the church. It's for you. And so that the more you and I become evangelists in our own lives, the less discouraged and exhausted we will be. Because our hope is in a risen Christ. Amen? All right, did everybody catch the six? Because I said it was six plus, it was plus one. Because there's one more that isn't in the chapter that we read. And it's because the task of evangelism is temporal. It's temporary. It's limited. The reason why God doesn't just do it himself, the reason why Jesus ascends and leaves it for us, is because we're in a unique time right now. Uh, In fact, did you remember what the angel said in Acts chapter 1? Right? The disciples are gathered. They see Jesus going up. They're all looking, peering up into the... Do you see him? I don't see him. The angel said, why are you looking? This same Jesus who was taken up from you will... What? He's going to come back. He's going to return. There is a limited amount of time that you and I have. And the reality is this. Either Jesus is going to come to us or you are going to go to him. It's one or the other. Either death is going to come or the return of Jesus is going to come. Here's the passage. He says he will come back in the same way that you saw him go. This means that evangelism must happen because Jesus is returning again. And for this, if you will permit me, I just want to read a little bit from chapter 5. Because Paul is going to show you his heart. And this needs to be our heart as well when it comes to evangelism. So because Jesus is returning again... Please look with me in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. We're going to just start in verse 11. Just allow God's word here to penetrate your heart that you will see why Paul does what he does. Chapter 5, starting in verse 11. Paul says, since then we... Oh, I'm sorry. We got to start in verse 9. I'm I'm a wrong verse. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 9. Just back up to Here we go. So we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we're out of our minds, it's for the sake of God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has gone. The new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Do do you see what Paul knows? Do Do you see he knows that Jesus is coming again? You see, he knows that judgment is ahead of all of us in death. It's no secret through the Bible. Book of Revelation tells us, chapter 22, Behold, I'm coming soon. If you didn't catch it the first time, behold, I'm coming soon. If you didn't catch it the second time, come on, parents. If you've got to say something three times, you know you mean it, right? Evangelism must happen because Jesus is returning again. So what do we do with this? How, how can we live this out today? Uh, Give me two more minutes just to talk about how to challenge you and I as we seek to put this into our lives and work it out, um, work it out today. Um, As we do, um, you can you can leave second Corinthians. Go back to Acts one real quick, because to start with an application, we got to see what they did. Right. Jesus was taken up in the ascension. So what did they do next? I want to submit that's what we should maybe do next. Okay. so uh, Acts chapter one. You remember the angels come and they say, why are you looking up here? Jesus is going to return. Look with me in verse 12. Acts 1, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, about a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And then we got a, a attendance list here, right? We've got Peter and John and a whole bunch of them. Verse 14 is what I want you to pay attention to. Look with me what it says. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and all his brothers. So what do we do? What's the first thing we do? First thing we do is got to pray. That's what they did. If Jesus left this impossible, transforming, relational task that's only temporary up to us, we better pray that God helps us and shows us because we got to depend on him. So this passage clearly shows us they were constantly in prayer. Number two, you need to spend time with Jesus as Lord through his spirit. I want to make sure you heard me right. Sometimes if the pastor says, you need to spend time with Jesus. I know I've seen just, just a lot of ladies are like, oh, I love spending time with Jesus. Jesus is just the best. I just love it. That's not what I said. It's not spending time with Jesus. There, there, uh, I don't want to... I'd be careful I say here. There are a few Christian resources that are out there that are sometimes these little devotionals that are written just to give you a warm, fuzzy feeling. Just me and my Jesus today. I, I want to submit to you that is not equipping you for evangelism. What you need to do is spend time with Jesus, not as your boyfriend. You need to spend time with Jesus as the Lord. That's what they did. Now, men, this is important for us as well. 
Now, this crosses over between men and women too, but I, I can remember one time I was, I was working for the Forest Service. Uh, our head guy, he, it, we were on a team of uh, 21 guys. Uh, he, he left to go down and talk to the other leaders. And the rest of us were up there like, so what do we do? <laughs> he, he didn't leave us with any instructions. So you know what we did? We took a nap. That's what we did. <laughs> Men, listen up. That's not what you're to do here on this side of eternity. You need to spend time with Jesus, not as somebody who's, I don't know where he is. Nobody can find him. Maybe we'll take a nap. Time out. He is ascended. He is seated at the right hand of God. He's coming again. He is your boss. He is your chief. He is your Lord. So men and women, I'm not advocating that you spend time with Jesus in a way that's arbitrary. I believe the scriptures explicitly teach us we, to be equipped with evangelism, need to spend time with Jesus as our Lord. Are you guys with me on that one? I think that the impossibility of the task will be solved from that. I think the relationability of the task will be solved from that. And I believe the transforming work that needs to happen in your hearts will be solved when you spend time with Jesus as Lord, chief, boss, king, ruler, however you want to characterize it. Now, the second half of this, through his spirit, we're going to look at that next week for Pentecost. Lastly, I want to encourage you to make the most of every opportunity because Jesus is coming again. Remember, Paul says that it's the love of God that compels him. And all of those who knew Jesus and walked with Jesus, they see him leave and they, because of their relationship with him, know he's coming back. And until he does, let us tell the whole world. Amen? Amen.